0: Good morning. Hope that you are doing well. Nice, uh, nice night last night. The cooler weather, enjoying that. Um, so last week we looked at um, we looked at what happens to how we how we develop fellowship within the church, and, and to, today what we want to do is kind of look at the mirror image of that. The reverse of that, which is what happens when there's discontentment. Uh, how do we handle discontentment within the church? And if we're honest with ourselves, discontentment is something that we all struggle with at one time or another, right? And um, and when it's in the church, it can be it can be uh, particularly difficult. Don Whitney writes that no one can hurt a believer as deeply as a group of Christians because of the nature of fellowship that exists between Christians. You know, when when someone from the pagan world, someone from our job who's an unbeliever, hurts us, it doesn't hurt nearly as bad as when we get hurt by people who are supposed to love us, right? And so discontentment can start to well up within us and it can turn into resentment and um, eventually bitterness and maybe even a hard heart towards the things of God. And so we need to be able to cut off discontentment when it starts. We need to be able to deal with it properly. I wonder, can you recall the last time that you were deeply disappointed by another church member, either in this church or or another? I'm sure you probably can. Or think about the last time that you felt that the church let you down. Maybe it was, several months after you joined the church and you felt like you were still very much an outsider. Or maybe the congregation was unconcerned about a particular priority that really had significance to you. And difficulties like these can easily lead us to discontentment. And the problem is that how we respond to discontentment can be a great enemy to the church or can actually be a way in which we can uh, contribute to great unity within the church. And so how we respond to how we're treated is is very very important. And in a moment we'll talk about uh, how discontentment arises. But at the very beginning here, I'd like to to um, to think about what ways can we respond rightly to things that come up that could bring about discontentment? How can we respond rightly? What are some ways that our response to discontentment can harm the unity of the church or bring good? Can you think of anything? What can, what can our response contribute to disharmony or, uh, or harmony within the church? Way, let's. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like an infection. If it's not dealt with, can very quickly spread. And we do that through our mouths and through our actions and through the way we respond to to discontentment. And I'm sure we can think of a lot of other ways in which we can contribute to the disharmony within the church because of how we respond. But before we we go any further, let's just um, try to think about this um, as far as uh, as far as uh, a, a definition is concerned. today we're not going to address how we respond to to sins in the church. We'll consider that in a few weeks when we talk about formative and corrective church discipline. Okay, we're also not going to talk about how we respond to discontentment with our leaders. We're going to spend some time talking about that next week. In fact, most of our time talking about that next week. Um, instead, I want to make clear that, that um, being discontent with the local church can sometimes be good. If you're unhappy with your church because it doesn't give enough money to support foreign missions, then you may actually be adopting an attitude that's good. And there's a proper way to deal with that. Now, you know, there's a wrong way, too. We can just start uh, complaining and grumbling to other people and say, you know, I really don't like the way that the church is handling this, the leadership is handling this. But, But that kind of sense of discontentment actually could be a good thing, couldn't it? But how we respond to that is what's important. We can either glorify God by promoting unity, or we can... Bring disgrace to Christ's name by bringing disharmony and disunity. All right. So next week we'll talk about leadership and how we handle that. Um, but today we're kind of looking at the converse again of what we looked at last week. Last week we we're talking about cultivating fellowship. Here we're talking about what happens when discontentment starts to rise. How do we handle that? And um, and so what do we do when we struggle with these things? Resentment towards other members or members who make us feel uncomfortable. And if you've spent any amount of time around churches, you know how difficult these situations can be. So what can we do to glorify God by addressing discontentment in a God-honoring manner? Let's pray and ask God for his help on this um, important issue today. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand the conflict that are that are here and that are real that rise up even within our own hearts and within the hearts of, within the hearts of other people within our church and Lord we don't want to just look at the conflict and take a lot of time um, just looking at looking at it like an accident on the side of the road we want to see what what we need to do to remedy the situation in our own hearts particularly and then also to help encourage other people to do the same and we know that that solution comes and your word. So give us the wisdom and the understanding to be able to see the truth of your word and how it applies to our specific situation and our specific heart issues, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to begin by briefly examining the negative effect that discontentment can have on a church, and then we'll walk through some ideas of how do we deal with discontentment in general, and then we'll think more practically Of three categories of discontentment and uh, I hope that through this class that it will equip you and me to work for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace so in what ways can discontentment affect church unity might define discontentment as longing for something better than the present situation so again discontentment can actually lead to a good heart attitude right when when the church is not doing something that may be more honoring to god If, if the church were just doing this then then that actually would be better and and that's not necessarily a bad thing so listen to this definition again longing for something better than the present situation so see how that's kind of ambiguous as to whether it's evil or good discontentment can can be one or the other now generally it tends to be evil in our hearts because we want something that we don't have and that's because we are sinful people living in a sinful world and because of the the uh, problems that sin brings we know that there it, it should be better it circumstances should be better there should be a a more honoring way in which we can live. The problem is that discontentment within our church, even when spurred by uh, godly desires, can actually lead to resentment and to bitter fruit. So let's look at three ways in which discontentment, if not properly handled, can harm the witness of the church. And I put the first one up there for you. Discontentment, number one, can lead to complaining and grumbling. Why else would Paul give a command for us not to do these things? Right? If Paul's talking to Christians at the church in Philippi, why would he give such a command? Don't grumble and complain because the tendency is to do what? Right? It is to complain and to grumble. Listen to Philippians two fourteen and fifteen. It's there on your handout. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. So what kind of things are we not to grumble and complain or grumble and dispute about? All things. Do not complain in anything ever. That's what the Scripture says. This is part of the way that we are a witness to the watching world. It's a compelling way in which the world sees the set of circumstances that we are handed, and they see that we're not grumbling or complaining about them. We've committed them. We've entrusted them to God and to His care. And we're joyfully going about our business, even though we're dealt a bad hand, so to speak. And so, if we grumble and complain, it actually harms the witness of the church, doesn't it? Do you see that in the verse? We're blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Then the last phrase, among whom you appear as lights in the world. One of the ways that we shine our lights very brightly is by avoiding grumbling and complaining. So, this is something that... I think we need to work on because we all see areas of, um, we we see areas of ineffectiveness in our church. We see inconsistencies in our church in the lives of other people, in the lives of me, and in my life. I've only got one life. Um, um, And so the easy thing to do is maybe not grumble and complain in front of other people, but then when we get home, maybe with our spouse or with our friends, and, and that's a problem. That's not what Christians ought to be doing. Number two, discontentment can lead to discord or disharmony. When we're unhappy with something, we're tempted to talk about it. We criticize in a cynical way. And we want to rally support, don't we? We want to get other people on our side to get our point of view. If this person doesn't understand, if they don't see the problem with it, that I'm going to get other people on my side so that I can get them to see. And this type of behavior can quickly cause division within the church. Have you seen this happen in churches before? In the church that you are in? I certainly have. And... Paul talks about this kind of thing in Galatians 5 alongside of things like idolatry, witchcraft, fits of rage, Galatians 5:20 is listing all these sins and one of them is divisions or factions. and can you believe that Christians would be the cause of that kind of thing? And it's true it's all it's all there it's in our hearts it's ready to be expressed just need the right situation, or maybe the wrong situation to be a better way to put it. And so we have to guard ourselves against this, because it can create great division within the church. Number three, discontentment distracts us from what really, matters. What, what really matters, doesn't it? As individuals and as a church, our charge is to make the most of every opportunity, Ephesians 5 says, but when our passions and energy are focused on what makes us unhappy in a church, then it can get us away from spreading the fame of God's name. Discontentment will actually consume our time and attention. Have, has there ever been something like that for you? Like there has been for me? That you know, There's so many good things going on within the church body. There's so many uh, graces that God's pouring out, and we're seeing people grow in Christ, and yet it's the one problem that seems to take all of our attention. We just can't get it out of our head. We spend so much time on that, it, it actually saps our energy, doesn't it? And and it, it distracts us from what really matters. Now, I'm not saying to ignore those things. We'll talk about how we ought to handle those things, but, but we can't let it uh, distract us from what really matters. Well, that's some of the bitter fruit that can come from discontentment. But on the other hand, Discontentment can lead to a strengthening of the body as well. When we respond in a way that's godly, when we see something that we would like to see better, when we respond in service to one another and working hard in love and trying to bring glory to God, then we show that the most important thing for us is God's glory and our church's unity. And we show that it doesn't stem from perfect agreement. It doesn't stem from... Um, compatible personalities, right? We're we're all different. Um, But rather, it flows from a shared hope and a satisfaction in Christ and what He desires for us. And so to think about that in action, let's think about ways we can address discontentment in a God-glorifying way. So how should we address discontentment? And I think that the key is not to memorize a list of things to do um, but the key is to understand the gospel and how it transforms us. And in better understanding the gospel, we'll better be able to handle uh, discontentment in a God-honoring way. All right? So four guidelines for addressing discontentment. Number one, pray for God's mercy. The gospel tells us that we are unable to do anything of value in our own strength. Jesus says, Without me, you can do nothing. And I think that includes responding to discontentment. Remember Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So our first guideline is to pray and to cry out for God's mercy. It's foolish to think that that we're mature enough or have sufficiently unemotional constitution that we can address discontentment in our own strength. You know, when someone approaches you with some conflict, how do you respond? Is your first reaction, you know, you're blowing this out of proportion. I'm okay, I haven't done anything, I haven't caused any problems, or I can handle this, or is your first response to think, Well perhaps I have contributed to it. I haven't been depending on God's strength as much as I ought to? When you encounter discontentment in your heart, the first thing that you need to do is pray. I've mentioned before that my pastor growing up used to say, uh, bad news up, good news down. So when there is discontentment in our hearts, there's things that I'm frustrated about, the the tendency is to do what? Spread the bad news down, right? With people around us. And and, um, I think a good principle that we ought to follow is that we ought to talk to those things with God. That that helps us um, really put things in perspective. That this is all about God and His glory. So how can I honor you through this discontentment, God? Number two, examine your desires. Second, we need to carefully examine our hearts to understand that desires are at the root of our discontentment. Are there any sins that I must confess? You know, is there something that I'm doing to contribute to this discontentment? You know, sometimes it's easy to, to be like a judge on one of these these reality shows where they're getting rid of people and, you know, we, we don't actually contribute to the success of the person. We just sit there and, and are cynical about it. So so we need to think about it. When discontentment starts to rise in my heart, well, what can I do? What What have I done possibly to contribute to this problem? And if there's something that needs to be confessed, then, then we take that to the Lord. James writes in his letters, why are there fightings and wars among you? Right? James 4, 1 and 2. Don't they come because, because of the battles that are going on within your own heart? You kill and covet, but you cannot have. You don't give what you want. And so a lot of times our discontentment comes from what? Not because of the situation, of the people, of the circumstances, because of God. Because of a wrong desire in our own hearts. That's where every fight starts. You might like to think it's in the person, other person's heart. But every fight starts in our own heart. James gets right to the connection there between discontentment and circumstances. We often put our hope only in our circumstances rather than in God. But, but you know, circumstances are always changing. They often bring about difficult results. And if our focus is on those things, then I'm going to give you something very profound here. That's actually not very profound. It's not going to be easy. Okay, it's it's going to be it's going to be difficult for us. When circumstances change, then our attitude is going to change because our hopes on our circumstances. But if our hopes on God who doesn't change and our circumstances are changing, then it's okay. I've used the illustration before about planting our feet on a rock that's in the middle of a raging river. You know, if we plant our feet in the river, it's going to change along with the waves, right? We're going to be bouncing all over the place if we plant ourselves firmly in the rock, put our hope on God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then when those things bounce up and down, it's okay. Because we're, we've are we got our feet firmly planted in God and in His truth. So, for example, perhaps you're unhappy because um, some people are better friends with a particular member than you are. Well, what's at the root of that discontentment? Is it because you feel that such friendship conveys a special status that you covet? Is it because you're jealous of a friend, friendship that seems so close? So so here's here's a great way for us to just stop. Ask God to reveal our desires to us. What is it that's driving this discontentment, God? Help me to see this. Think of hard about the root of the problem. Are you putting your hope in the approval of men over the approval of God? Are you trying to accomplish good ends through your own strength and are impatient with the inefficiency of others? Are you discontent because you feel you deserve better treatment than you received? Okay, So, so first, pray for God's mercy. Second, we need to examine our own hearts, our own desires. And I hope that you recognize that the heart is very deceitful and desperately wicked. And who can know it very next verse in Jeremiah says there, the Lord searches the heart. So we need to go to God, go to His Word, and ask Him to search our hearts. What is it that's in me that's driving this discontentment, this, uh, this, this bitterness? All right. Number three. Fill your hearts with a passion for God's glory. Not only must we talk to God and repent of any sins that we may be Having within our hearts that contribute to it, but we must replace these attitudes with godly passions. Right? If we get rid of sin and replace it with nothing, don't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised when the sin returns. Okay? Uh, we need to replace it with good. This is the put put off put on uh, principle that we see in Ephesians and in other passages that Paul gives to us we put off the sin and we put on righteousness here's what we need to do in this case as well we put off that bitterness that's starting to well up in that resentment and we put on passions for God's glory so how do we foster such passion well I think very simply it happens through the means of grace anybody have any idea what the means of grace are give me some examples of them the Puritans talked about them often the means of grace what are they what was that? Scripture. Still reading the Scripture. Hearing the Scripture preached and taught. Okay, meditation on God's Word. What are the other means of grace? How does God pour out His grace to us? What kind of things are we supposed to be doing in order to kind of unleash prayer, service, fellowship with other believers? Okay, These are the means of grace. We don't earn it. We simply... we we simply go to God doing what He's commanded of us and God happily, because we humbly go to Him with His means, the means that He's told us to do, God gives grace to the humble, doesn't He? He gives grace to them. And the humble are those who just do these... And I'm just going to say this because we're going to talk about here, here in Leviticus in the next hour. People who do the boring acts of righteousness. When I say boring. They don't really look that spectacular and vibrant and you know people aren't seeing it, but we're doing these boring sometimes from the world's perspective, this prayer, reading the scriptures, trying to see it change our lives, trying to apply it to our lives, fellowship with other believers, and as we do that, God sees our humility that we're actually going to him on his terms. And He happily pours out His grace on us. Okay? So when you're unhappy with someone in the church, I would encourage you to increase these means of grace. So, increase the amount of time that you spend in the Scripture. Increase the amount of time that you pray for that person. Have you ever tried praying for someone that you resent? It's difficult to do, isn't it? And yet, this is one of the ways that helps that God uses to help us align our hearts with His desires. through just simple means like that. Showing love to these people. And um, you might be thinking, well, if my heart's saying negative things inside while I say encouraging things outside, then isn't that hypocrisy? And I would say, no, not really. Because disciplining myself, you know, Proverbs talks about, you know, that restraint is actually something that a wise person does. We don't just go and say everything that's in our heart. Instead, we restrain ourselves. And so, we could say, well, wait a second, Solomon. If you're restraining something, then you're not really being honest with people. And yet, Solomon's saying, actually, that's the best thing you can possibly do. You're showing righteousness. You're you're restraining the evil that's within you. And that's the most loving thing you can do to the other person, isn't it? It's not loving to just empty out your heart someone, all the evil feelings that you have towards them, right? There's no love in that at all. That's actually self-love. And so, um, I wouldn't say that that's hypocrisy. Uh, You know, the the Pharisees were hypocrites because they, in their hearts, didn't want to please God. You know, they they were whitewashed tombs on the outside. They are just trying to show the appearance that they wanted to please God. But see, when you actually show acts of righteousness to people who, you know, you're starting to well up with feelings of resentment towards them. That actually shows that you want to please God. I'm restraining what's evil and pouring out what's good to that person, even though they don't deserve it. Right? Second idea is to fill our minds. Consider God's call. Um, We're not there yet. Alright. Fill your mind. So, I guess these are just free. Um, consider God's call in Philippians, where He says, "Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves." Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Think about the purpose of this command. This is think of the why of why you should consider another member as more significant. Is it because they're more capable of godliness? Not necessarily. It's because they are Christ's possession. He has bought them with His blood. All right, we're talking about believing members of this church. So selfish discon- uh, much of our self-discontentment begins because we've elevated our worth over the importance of someone else or a whole group of people. And um, so we need to regard one another as more important than ourselves. So, you see how this can start to reduce the amount of resentment that's in our heart? When this discontentment starts to rise is because people aren't regarding me as more important than them. And what the Scripture says is we need to regard them as more important than me. More important than us. We've got it backwards, and that's why the resentment is there. So let's say for example that there's a specific area of service within the church that you're concerned about and you're trying to enlist other people to help you. And they just don't want to. And our immediate thought is, how dare they consider their time more valuable than mine? Because if they don't in, if they don't help me out, you know what's going to have to happen in order for this to get done? I have to do it. Okay. Don't they realize how much I already juggle on the weekend? I mean, I've been working all week. I've had a lot of long days. and I don't want to spend all my time, so why, ha- why can't they consider me as more important than them? And yet what we ought to do is consider that Christ gave His life for them and recognize that our love for them in, in some cases may mean that we ought to be able to understand when they aren't as excited about getting that thing done as we are. Alright, number four. Be careful with your words. How you choose to share the specifics of your discontentment with others affects whether that discontentment will spread or whether it will subside. Okay, so, so be very careful with your words. Let me give you a few suggestions on this. Number one, it's a good practice to work through these things we've talked about so far. That is, pray to God and ask for His help. Examine yourselves. Examine your own heart. And then fill your minds with a passion for His glory before you speak with anyone. We, we often get these out of order, don't we? We see something wrong, and immediately we go to that person. And what I'm suggesting is that if we do it in that order, we often cause the discontentment, the resentment to spread. Okay? And and the, the proper order is, let's pray, ask God for His mercy, reveal within my heart to me, God, please show me. I want to do this in the right way. Then fill our, our hearts up with a passion for His glory. And then we need to think about it before we actually go and speak to the person. Now when we're going to that person it should be done in the constructive way. Not okay, I've done step one, two, three. Now it's time for four. I can start spreading the, the news, right? No, instead it should be either when we're talking to other people about this, it ought to be to confess our sin to them or to work at some sort of constructive collaboration. That is, the, the, what ways can we help solve this problem as a church? We we love to talk about the problems, and I say we, I include myself. We love to talk about the problems, but, but it's a lot harder to actually talk about the solutions, to work through solutions, and how can I be a part of the solution. We like to put that on somebody else's plate, so we have to be careful with that. Now, when you go to talk to other people, don't vent your frustrations. Okay, again. It's wise to restrain your tongue. The wise person restrains himself. Okay, so don't go to vent. You know, our, our world likes to say, "Well, maybe you just need to get it off your chest." Well, I think that's an ungodly way to look at life. I think that's very much born out of our psychological uh, culture. And and um, and the scriptures speak nothing of that. Um, there is a constructive, a proper way to handle these frustrations, uh, confessing our sins to God and then possibly to others, seeking counsel or acting in a constructive way. Um, But not just go talk to people just so that we can let off some steam. Again, think about discontentment like an infection. If you ignore it, it's going to happen. It's going to get worse. If you reveal it to everyone around you, it's going to likely spread so it needs to be handled right at the core of where it came from be careful not to talk about the sin of other christians i'll we'll talk about this more in a few weeks but but remember the the pattern that's set up in matthew 18 if someone sins against you what's the first thing you're supposed to do step number 1 go to that person Okay, step number one for us normally is we see someone sin, we go to someone else. Start telling them about it. Prayer request, that sort of thing. We kind of hide it or cloak it in a prayer request sort of way. That's that's not what the Scriptures teach us to do. Okay, handle the sin specifically. And a lot of times, you know what happens? It gets handled. Christians want to see their sin. They want to have their sin revealed to them so that they can deal with it. One second. And then, so so the best thing that we can do is go to that person and just say, listen, you know, what you did was not what Christians do. Let me just show you from the Scripture where that's true. And a lot of times, Christians, are just it's just going to go away because they're going to handle it. They're going to repent of that sin. Um, that's a hard thing to do, but I think that's the scriptural way to handle that. Trish. Yeah, let's, let's go to the professional, the one who's paid to do this type of mentality. And yet the Scriptures call all of us to handle these problems ourselves, right? Not to go to the professionals, you know, so to speak, and I, and I put that in quotes, but, but, you know, we each have a responsibility to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And it requires the whole congregation thinking in this way. So... Don't talk to other Christians in a way that lobbies support for your position. You know, that that actually is divisive. It's divisive, isn't it? Where you get other people on our side. If we can just get these people to agree, then they can commiserate with me and and, and then those other people will be shown to be wrong. See, that's what I really want. See, if we want the sin to be handled with with the sin, then then we gotta to go to that person. So so pray, understand your desires, examine your heart, fill your hearts with a passion for God's glory, and then be careful with how you um, talk to other people about this. All right, in our remaining time, I'd like to get um, even more practical in discussing how we should address particular situations in the church that cause discontentment. What kind of areas, remember, this can actually distract us from what's most what's really important. So what kind of things can rob our joy and distract us from what's really important? Number one, the church isn't meeting my felt needs. One specific area of discontentment that can arise in our hearts is that the church isn't meeting my felt needs. What is the reason for the church? Is it surrounded? Does it surround us so that it can fulfill us personally? Is not its ultimate purpose to glorify God by showing His power in a diverse community of united, loving believers? And even though we know that, right? We could we could kind of rattle that off. We exist as a church for God's glory by uniting together with people who are in many ways unlike us, but we come together to share the joy that we have in Christ and the common goal. We could recite that, but in, but but we still can feel these attitudes of dissatisfaction because maybe our gifts aren't being recognized or people aren't doing what we would expect them to do. And we need to keep in mind that joy in Christian life doesn't come as we develop a careful balance between serving others and being served. That's not where joy comes from. You know, like, like almost like a balance sheet. Like, on this side, I've really served a lot of people, and what I feel like is I've really, you know, I've got a whole list on this side, but as far as other people serving me, man, I can't even really think of anybody doing it. That's not where joy comes from, when our balance sheet is equal or greater, Right? Our joy comes from knowing that everything we do even if this side of the list is is multiple pages and this one's still on the first line. Our joy comes from what? From knowing that all of this is done in service to our savior. I mean think about his balance sheet, right? What kind of offenses did 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 we have to overcome in order to love Him? What kind of things did He do wrong that we had to, you know... As far as us serving Christ, on this side of the list, how would that look compared to all the things He's done for us? Does Christ wait until it's equal? Alright, it's balanced. Now I can accept you. This is how we serve other people. That's where our joy comes from. Because all the things that we're doing for people is is done in, in service to Christ. And you know what? If we don't get returned for that in this lifetime, that's okay. But just to be honest with you, we probably are being served. We're just focusing on what we have done, not what other people have done. Trish? Yeah, yeah. it's a very um, self-centered way to look at life. We quickly tally up all the things that we've done for others and we forget about the things they've done for us or we forget why we're really doing all those things. It's not to get something in return. It's out of glad submission to our Savior. Um, So we need to seek God's glory in the midst of our discontentment. It's not about meeting your felt needs. It's about seeking to meet others' needs. It's about seeking the glory of God. Remember the abundance of gifts that you have received from Christ and from other believers. And pray for God to just train your mind to see all these blessings that come through the church and even come through service. One of the amazing things is is when, when you give yourself fully to serving other people, amazing how much you are served. Not that all of a sudden people start mowing your lawn and things like that, but but you have a sense of of satisfaction and and of having your needs met. You know, sometimes you think, well if I if I spend all my time trying to meet their needs needs mine aren't gonna get met. Um but that's actually a, a cause of uh, that comes from the strife and the war that's battling with our hearts that that really views us as more important than the other person. Second sort of discontentment that can come up is, you know, I don't really like that other church member. Perhaps it's an issue of envy or rivalry. Maybe you've seen God pour out blessings on, you know, another brother or sister in Christ in a way that you wanted to be blessed. Perhaps it's a basic feeling of discomfort. Someone just is different from you. They behave a lot differently than you. They don't um, They don't have the same sort of upbringing that you did. How do you work through discontentment in areas like this? Again, follow the pattern that we set out. Um, pray. Ask God to change your heart. Confess any sin that may be coming up within your heart. Seek forgiveness where necessary. Learn to pray for those people that you dislike. Show love to someone that you dislike. You know that the tendency is just to find another place on the other side of the aisle. Avoid them at all costs. But how about this? Go up to them and talk to them. Encourage them. Find out how you can be praying for them. So, number three, I disagree with church leadership. Again, we're going to address this next week um, how we should express and resolve these disagreements biblically. But the one comment I'll make now is that everything I've talked about today applies to discontentment caused by disagreement with church leaders. Okay, so any kind of discontentment that you have with other people, it's going to be the same way. You handle that as you handle your disagreement with me. And, So you're just going to do the same sorts of things. I need to pray for God's mercy. Find out why these things are welling up within my heart. What are my desires? Am I considering myself as more important than the other person? And then be careful about how we speak. Be careful with our words. 1 Peter 5.8, Paul says, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert your adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. There are a few areas... Where we are more susceptible to stumble than in the area of discontentment. What begins as, you know, just a minor critique or a moment of insecurity can cause havoc in our hearts and can spread very quickly. And it can destroy churches. It's happened a thousand times before. And if the Lord delays, it will happen a thousand times again. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6.6 6, that godliness with what is great gain? Contentment. That should be our goal. Contentment together within our church pursuing love for Christ in service to others. And um, and the way that we do this is put our hope on God, not on our circumstances. All right. Any questions or thoughts? Bill, can you read that for us? You could have saved us fifty minutes, Bill. Right to him. Yeah. Yep. Growing. Yeah, it reminds me of the song "Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus." Look full into His wonderful face. And the things of earth, all the things that dis- cause discontentment within us, will do what? Grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. Grace Mark. Mm-hmm. Symptoms? I think that would be included on the class. When we start to focus on our own circumstances, distracts us from what's most important, you know, Christ and His body. All right, good. Thank you for those comments and questions. Those are excellent. Let's pray. Father, um, the soberness of this uh, teaching today is, is evident in the quietness.